We're in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. As we make our way through the book of 1 Timothy, and we come to the section on elders, and somehow, someway, I'm the one teaching it. So, so here we are. It is, it's an honor, it's humbling to even be considered for the role of an elder. Um, it makes me think that I should feel older than I do. And, and uh, if, that, if that calling is affirmed by the church next week, um, I simply hope and pray that God uses it for your good and for His glory and, and for the good of this local body. So it has been wonderful for me to work through 1 Timothy chapter 3. To study what an elder should be, to study what an elder needs to be doing, how to care for the church, what qualifications God has laid out in His Word for an elder. And that has been good for my soul and beneficial, and hopefully we can benefit from it together as we work through this passage this morning. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy 3. Let's remember that as Paul writes to Timothy, there are some issues going on where Timothy is at. There are false teachers that have already been addressed in chapter 1. Uh, we've talked in chapter 2 about those who have made shipwreck of their faith, right? Those who have fallen away from faithfulness. When you come to chapter 3, you realize that Paul is giving these instructions to Timothy because if the church is going to succeed, if it's going to do well, there needs to be faithful leaders leading the church. And so Timothy must know, and the church must know, what a faithful man looks like as as they look for people to lead the church in a time of some difficulty. So keep that in mind as we read, starting in verse 1 of chapter 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil." Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This seems to be a, a passage that is focused on one particular group, and it is. So you might think initially that this is not something that is going to be very profitable if you are not considering eldership, or, or you maybe not, maybe you don't have a vote next week, and so you're not going to be part of, of selecting elders for this church. So I want to just condition us and prepare us to listen to the Word this morning because there is something here for everyone who is listening this morning, right? From the oldest to the youngest. We are to listen first and foremost as disciples of Christ. Whenever the Word of God is opened, we are learning something about God, about His priorities, about His values, about what He wants His people to be doing. And so when the Word of God is opened, we are learning of God. And so there is value in every passage of Scripture that we study because of that. So listen as disciples of Christ. Listen as church members who will be required to evaluate, appoint, and submit to elders. Whether it be next week or a year from now or five years from now, this is your responsibility as a member of this local body. 
I may be very well preaching my downfall as an elder candidate this morning. You may listen to this and realize he is completely unqualified. And you should, at that point, vote no next week. And amen, praise the Lord. Because this church does not need a bad, unqualified elder. We have a pastoral search committee. We could uh, appropriately call it an elder search committee. This must be the driving force behind what they are doing, behind their evaluation, right? behind our selection as a body of somebody to be an elder in this church and to take on a, a more primary preaching role. So we need to listen as church members. To the men in this congregation, listen as those who may have a desire for eldership. If you are possibly... Considering that, maybe one day in the future, this is what you come to. And certainly go to the, the passage in Titus as well. There's, there's two main passages that describe the qualifications of elders. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But this is what you need to look at, the Word of God, and evaluate your heart and evaluate your qualifications. Okay? You may be a godly man who is unqualified to be an elder. And in humility, you need to say, Praise the Lord, my role is different in this church. Right? God has given different gifts to different people, and you need to serve where you are gifted. And then to the elders of this church, you need to listen as those who are accountable to God. Right? This is God's call for you in this local body. This is what you are to be doing and the standard and example you are to be holding up before the rest of the congregation. So as we work through this this morning, we have the introductory saying, and I'll talk briefly about that. And then we have three sections after that. First, we have the seven must-bes. Right? An elder must be this, this, and this. So we have seven of those. Then we have the four nots. And then the three explained. I didn't do alliteration very well, but that was the best I could do for, for breaking this out. You got the first seven qualifications, and then there's three, four qualifications that follow with a different description, and then you have three longer qualifications at the end. So that's how we'll work through this. And I want us to also remember how important these are. And, and Paul tells Timothy how important these are. So go down to verse 14 of this chapter, and you'll realize why these qualifications for elders and then deacons are so important. Paul says in verse 14, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The church of God is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth, and the elders are to lead that church into truth and to keep that church in truth. And so that is what is at stake. And that is why it is so important to understand exactly who should be leading God's church and what they should be like. So we'll start with the first part, the introductory saying. Paul says here, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. So we have elder, as we've been talking about, and overseer is what is given here, at least in the ESV. Different translation might say elder. I'm going to use the term synonymously. And I will primarily use elder because that is what we are used to in our context. Um, it, they really are essentially describing the same thing. It's also a good reminder that there is no 
hierarchy in eldership. Right? I certainly understand that, that as you come to this church on a Sunday, you will more often see Gary up here preaching. That does not make him the preeminent elder, the, the authoritative elder. Right? That just means that his role in the eldership is to primarily teach more than the others do. The elders are to lead the church under Christ as the head of the church. And the first thing, if one desires to be an elder, is that they must have an aspiration for that role. Right? A desire that produces an action. And that action is the stepping forward to say, I desire, I would like to be considered for this role. This, this word is used in Hebrews 11.6, speaking of those in the Old Testament saying they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one, right? This, this strong desire for something greater and pursuing that desire. That's the same word that is used here. It's a strong desire that motivates action. And that action is making that desire known in this context. So a qualified man who has no desire for the role should not be given that role. And that's something important that we need to remember. It is also, as we've noted here, in this initial saying, a noble task. And I think Paul says this to encourage the people in the church. There was difficulty in the leadership. There were problems they were dealing with. There was false teachers. And Paul says, look, this is a noble task. Be encouraged if you desire it to take it on. It may be difficult. It will be at times frustrating. But it is a good task that you should take on if you have a desire for it. Be encouraged to do it. It will make a positive contribution to the life of the church. We could go to a bunch of other scriptures and see what this noble task involves. I want to shortly give a a summary of what the other scriptures say. And it's, I've taken this from an excellent book on eldership by Alexander Strzok. And he says this about the task of elders. Elders lead the church, teach and preach the word, protect the church from false teachers, Exhort and admonish the saints in sound doctrine. Visit the sick and pray. And judge doctrinal issues. In biblical terminology, elders shepherd, oversee, lead, and care for the local church. And if you understand the nature of that task, then it starts to make sense why these are the qualifications that Paul gives. Right? A, a chef has to understand good flavor combinations. A, Parents have to un- have the wisdom to protect and teach their children. A soldier has to have the courage to fight. And so an elder must be these things that we are going to consider next. So we've come to the seven must-bes, starting in verse 2. Therefore, an overseer or an elder must be. And we'll work through these a little quicker. I'll give some comments on each of them, but we have a lot to cover, so we'll, we'll not spend too much time on one. First, an elder or an overseer must be above reproach. Must be above reproach. So these are the personal qualities necessary for effective church leadership. This is what God has given us. This is what God prioritizes. And the first one is to be above reproach. And I think this is more of an overarching qualification. Almost like in the fruits of the Spirit, where it says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And, and you, can almost, you can put a colon after that, understanding that that is like the, the first and the primary and all the other fruits flow out of that. I think Paul's doing something similar here. 
If you look at Titus chapter 3, where the list of elder qualifications is also given, he repeats above reproach in the beginning twice. And so it seems to be highlighted as a, a leading qualification from which the others flow. And it would make sense, right? This is the idea of being blameless. Not perfect, but the elder's reputation, the elder's qualification should be able to withstand assaults from perhaps inside the church and even from outside the church, right? If a question about his qualification comes, it should be dismissed by the reality of who he is. The elder should be a positive representative of the church rather than somebody who contributes to his downfall because he is not qualified. And I'm sure we could think about many church leaders who have failed in this very basic qualification, and you have seen churches fall because of it. Or some of us have come from churches like that. Again, this is not a qualification meaning free from sin. None of these are. Right? No elder will be perfect in being like Christ. But it is, and it should be, somebody you want to listen to and their life backs up what they say. You shouldn't doubt the motives or the counsel of an elder in the church. You shouldn't be surprised because they've flown off the handle or found out that they're secretly motivated by something sinful. Right? This should be an above-reproach man, somebody who is blameless before the body. Second, we come to the husband of one wife, or as, as it's more accurately translated, a one-woman man. This is a more subtle, not subtle, but a clear reminder that elders are to be men. We could have proven that from the previous verses, and even from the end of chapter 2, where, where Paul gives instructions for women. He's then moving on to instructions for men and leaders in the church. But just as a reminder here, an elder is to be a man in the church. And the emphasis here is that he is to be somebody who is faithful in marriage. Okay, rather than a requirement for an elder to be married, Paul is pulling a situation, the situation of marriage, as an example for us to look at to see whether or not this man is qualified. Interestingly, Paul himself wasn't married. And I'm sure that if Paul was in our church, we would want him to be an elder of our church. <laughs> Right? Paul wasn't married. It's possible that Timothy wasn't married. This is also not a requirement that an elder have one spouse for the entirety of his life. Okay? Biblically, remarriage is justified in the, in the case of the death of a spouse or after a legitimate divorce. But this does preclude an elder from serving or a man from serving as an elder if he has been illegitimately divorced according to the Word of God. We also need to understand that these would apply post-conversion. But essentially what we're talking about is that an elder must be a faithful man. And specifically in this example, he must be somebody who avoids sexual immorality and impurity. Back in those days, it would have been fairly common for, for men to have mistresses or to have you know, somebody who was considered almost like a concubine in the Old Testament. Right? And that is to be completely unheard of in the church and especially among those that lead the church. 
It is certainly not something that is common today as it would have been more of a societal convention back then, but what is our most common issue today? Covenant Eyes is a program that helps helps people defeat the sin of pornography and they use a monitoring device on computers and phones and things like that to help people with that. Their website currently states that one in five youth pastors and one in seven senior pastors use pornography on a regular basis. In this area, an elder must be above reproach, a man of qualified character. And so he must be a one-woman man. He must demonstrate faithfulness and purity in this way. The next one is sober-minded. This is somebody who who thinks clearly. Somebody who observes and then thinks through what he sees and is balanced in his assessments. Not somebody who rushes to judgment or or draws an unfounded conclusion. Hears both sides and is sober-minded in his analysis. That is absolutely necessary for an elder. There's many things that will occur in a church where an elder needs to be Patient and sober-minded. Next is self-controlled. Interestingly, this is the only item in this list that is also in the fruits of the Spirit. An elder must have control over his behavior, his emotions, the things that motivate him. And certainly, an elder needs to demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. And, and will. Like the Spirit of God is at work in all believers. Those fruits will be worked out. So, so Paul is not using this list to say, take this one item from, from the fruits of the Spirit and disregard the rest. You know, As long as he's self-controlled, he can be as mean to you as he wants to be. That is not at all what Paul is doing here. But he's highlighting this character quality, I think because as you regularly interact with people and deal with difficulties and sin, you need to have a lot of self-control, right? To be patient, to not get frustrated, to not get irritated. There are many opportunities to fall as we engage with people. We all know this. It's easier sometimes just to stay home and not to talk to anybody. <laughs> I didn't think that was the line I was going to get an amen on, but... but as we do engage with people it is good it is right it is how God sanctifies us and if we're going to do it well we need to have self-control and so the elders of the church need to have self-control they need to be good examples in this way next it says respectable the only other place that respectable is used is in the previous chapter in the New Testament this is the only the only two places that this word is used And in 1 Timothy 2, verse 9, it says that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. And that is the same word used here for elders. They are to be respectable. They are to be those that you you look at and you see there's an honorable quality to them. There is a modesty to them. They are not out promoting themselves. And this is something that, like all these other traits that you observe in this man. 
When you, when you see him interacting with other people, when you, when you hear about what he was, you know, who he had over his house and the wonderful time they had, right? Or maybe when you interact with him. If you didn't know that an elder was an elder, would you be surprised to find out that he was? Right? For somebody who is respectable, it would make sense, and it should make sense. Next we have hospitable. And certainly this would have been more necessary in the first century. You know, you don't have the local holiday inn for people traveling to your, your city to stay at, so there would have been a need for hospitality, especially among believers when a lot of people were opposing the church in the early days. And certainly that's not something that is necessary in our culture, but the same qualities that make somebody hospitable are necessary in an elder. It is to be welcoming and loving, right? To have a love and a kindness towards others, providing a meal for them, caring for them, perhaps having somebody come over and stay the night because they need to. I've known Pastor Ed Moore from North Shore Baptist Church for many years, and I think, I think there's always somebody at his house. Um, I, we've, my wife and I have gone and visited. We just called them maybe a couple weeks prior and said, hey, we're coming down. Can we stay the weekend? And the answer was obviously yes. Anytime I visited, I think somebody is always sleeping in his basement. Um, and what a testimony to the world and to his church. Right? He is a very welcoming man, and that is a blessing to see, and that's exactly what is being talked about here. Right? An elder needs to be willing to share life in all of its normal occurrences with other people. It's easy to be your true self at home and then to be different when you're out among others for a few hours, perhaps on a Sunday or at a Bible study or at an event. It is very hard to keep on a false front when people come into your home and spend hours with you. And so an elder should be able to willingly bring people into his home and there should be no change in who he is and his qualifications. This is also a reminder to me and of the, the impact that being an elder has on your family. The, the family of an elder is not called to that role, right? but they are impacted by it. And they certainly need to be willing participants in that. We've even started talking with our girls about what might change if, if I am brought on as an elder in this church. And that's something that they will have to be a part of and things will be a little bit different. It's a good reminder for all of us to pray for the wives and the children of those that are elders in this church. And the last of the must-bees in our section one here is able to teach. And this is something specific to the role of elders. All right, this is not mentioned in deacons, in the role or the qualifications given for deacons. This is specifically given to the elders because one of their primary, duty, primary duties is teaching the Word of God. In Titus, Paul gives a little more description to this. He says they must give instruction in sound doctrine and also be able to rebuke those who contradict it. This doesn't mean anybody who can stand up and present something well. Just because you are a high school teacher, it doesn't mean you can be an elder of a church. This means somebody who can correctly communicate the Word of God and apply it to the people of God. 
If you are a really good teacher, but you are really bad at understanding the Scriptures, you are not able to teach, as is described here in 1 Timothy. And this doesn't mean that every elder is going to teach the same amount. There might be some elders that teach at Bible studies or in some that preach more consistently. There might be an elder that teaches you one-on-one when you get together with them. But regardless of the amount or the setting, the ability still needs to be there. And this means that if you think we need an elder of finance, and you know this guy who runs his own investment firm, and he's really good at it, managing money, and he'd be great for the church, you need to ask, can he teach the Word of God faithfully? Because the other qualification doesn't matter. Or maybe an elder of administration, because he really knows how to organize people, and once we get into this new building, it's going to be amazing to have community events, and we need an elder who can organize that kind of thing. Well, the question is, can he teach the Word of God faithfully, along with these other things? Because a good administrator who can't teach will be a failure as an elder. And that should cause us to realize that everything the elders do needs to be guided by the Word of God. And that's why they need to be able to teach. They need to be able to go to the Word of God, look at a church situation, and evaluate what they should do based on the Word of God. And if they can't do that, if they can't look into the Word and draw out how to obey Christ, they are going to be terrible at leading the church. And that's why they must be able to teach. All right, section two. The four, the four knots. So we had the seven must-bes, the four knots are next. And the first one, as I take a drink, is not a drunkard. It wasn't even in my notes. That's just, that's just flowing. That's just natural. All right. Not a drunkard. Biblically, we know that to drink is not evil, but drunkenness is. And this is applied to all believers, not only a requirement for elders. But I think this sin is highlighted because it would negate the elder's ability to fulfill his calling. You cannot be sober-minded. You cannot be self-controlled. You cannot be respectable or above reproach if you are a drunkard. And by the way, only, only getting drunk once a month is not acceptable because you're not a quote-unquote drunkard. No, this does apply to any moment when you are not in control of who you are. When you are not filled with the Spirit, right? Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There should never be a moment where an elder is filled with the negative effects of alcohol rather than the positive effects of the Spirit of God. There's a pastor in Willington who I heard through Alex a good comment of his that I really appreciated. This pertains to this topic of, of alcohol. He said that he, he needed to be ready to minister to his congregation at any moment, at any time of day. And so if alcohol ever prevented him from doing that, right, from taking a, a phone call or getting in the car and going to visit a member of his congregation, then he was at a, mo- a point where he had had too much. Right? 
So this doesn't come down to a legalistic requirement, but it does come down to how can I love the church of God and be above reproach in this area? Next we come to not violent, but gentle. The New American Standard says not a bully. The message says not pushy. And the King James says no striker, which I think was my favorite. But this is somebody who is pugnacious, somebody who is contentious, somebody who is ready to start a fight, ready to have an argument. And this is not what an elder is to be. Jesus Christ is our great example. In 1 Peter 2, it says that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. These, that is the epitome of not violent but gentle. And that is what the elders of the church are to be. I don't know of any stories of elders actually being what the King James calls a striker, somebody who's actually starting a fight. But I'm sure we could come up with many examples of an elder that you might call a bully, or somebody who uses angry language, or somebody who's pushy, somebody who's ready for a fight. And Paul says, Timothy, they are not qualified for this role. They are to be gentle, to have an ability to give way to others. They're generous in their treatment of others. They're gracious. And the next qualification is similar, but again, slightly different. Not quarrelsome. People are different. Imagine if we put 20 of you onto the decorating committee for Golf Street. Disagreements are going to happen. They're going to happen frequently on that committee. And it would be a year before we got in there with any sort of decorations. Disagreements are simply going to happen. But an elder must not be somebody who is quarrelsome, somebody who is itching for a fight, looking to start an argument, always disagreeing on the smallest of details, never willing to give grace or just let another opinion prevail. Right? An elder must be, in the normal life of the church, peaceable, considerate, forbearing. This is one of the essential qualities that Paul tells Timothy. And lastly on our not list is not a lover of money. And I think this is similar to the, the prohibition against drunkenness that Paul had mentioned earlier. Right? This is a sin that is highlighted because it would negate the elder's abilities to fulfill his calling. Anyone who is a lover of money is not a lover of God and therefore is going to make the wrong decision because they are going to make a selfish, greedy decision. And rather than me expounding on it, let's move over to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and look at what Paul does to fill out this idea, starting in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And elders are certainly not exempt from that. Right? I know we all 
were maybe surprised when Gary said, cut my salary last, last year at our congregational meeting. But praise the Lord, that is a man who is not a lover of money. And that is a good quality. All right, so we've done seven must-bees. We've done four nots. And now we have the three last qualities that are explained. And what I mean by that is that Paul just gives a more thorough, long explanation for each of these instead of just listing them. So we'll start here in verse 4 and read the first one. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? So as you observe the elders, if you, as you observe somebody who is a candidate for eldership, look at how he interacts with his family. Look at how he cares for them, providing for their needs, protecting them from harm, planning for the future, organizing the family's commitments. See if he says, he says no to certain things for the benefit of his family. Are his finances in order? Does he prioritize the, the spiritual health and well-being of his wife and children? Does he take responsibility for what happens? Right? A father is not going to do everything in the home, but he is responsible for everything that happens in the home. Does he take the lead in the loving discipline of his children? And these are just a few of the things that the Bible calls fathers to. And certainly these are things to be done with his wife. But this qualification means that he cannot be a man who is simply along for the ride in his home. Right? One, of, one of those those people that sounds like a, a man of the world who says, you know, my wife just plans everything and tells me when to show up. That can't be an elder. And he must do, the, do this with all dignity, in purity, in an honorable way, right? in holiness. He can't be an abuser of his children. Right? He can't be verbally abusive to his wife or any other sort of abuse. When his children are, are kept submissive, it is because he is a loving, kind father who disciplines them biblically. And so look at how his children respond to him. Is, is the instruction, is the training, is it done in love, with kindness? Is it done in holiness? If he is a tyrant and his children are scared, and so therefore they are submissive, don't make him an elder. If he's lazy and his children are out of control, don't make him an elder. But if you do see a man who is involved in his home, it's well-ordered, you're seeing somebody with elder qualities. And again, a reminder that having children is not a requirement for being an elder. And so it, if somebody is not given the gift of children, then you look at how they manage their house. Do they do it well in the way that God would expect in a lot of the ways that I've already mentioned? And the principle is very simple. If someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? If you can't be faithful in the little things, you will not be faithful in the big things. This is a, a biblical principle that our Lord gives us, right? In Luke chapter 16, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in a little will be dishonest with much. 
So the qualities that bring godly success to the home will bring godly success in the church. And so if you call an elder because you need encouragement or you need advice, and he says, let me get back to you tomorrow. It's family game night. We just got started. I'll be in touch tomorrow. Don't be upset. You may have just received confirmation that he is a qualified elder. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. It does not matter how old, it does not matter how experienced, it does not matter how seemingly well qualified a man is. If he is a recent convert, he must wait. The reputation of Christ and the purity of the church are at stake. Right? These are given for our good. So if he is a recent convert, he waits. When Paul mentions here the condemnation of the devil, think about this. Satan was created sinless. Satan was in the presence of God, and he became puffed up with conceit and fell. Do not be so proud to think that you could withstand the temptations of pride when you look at an example like that. Time must be given for a new believer to experience the ups and the downs and to to gain some maturity that will help him resist the temptation of pride. It's always going to be there. But a new believer is going to more easily fall into it, and so Paul says, wait. And that is a wise and a right admonition. And then lastly, we have verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. This is a, a fitting bookend to what we've been talking about. I mentioned that I think above reproach is a kind of like the main concept that is going, going on here and, and flows through the rest of these qualities. And what he says here at the end is essentially that he must be above reproach from the view of the out, outsiders, from people that are not in the church, people that are not Christians. And so we kind of see the same overarching principle at the beginning of this list and at the end. But it should seem a bit odd that Paul even mentions this as a qualification. The world is not a friend of the church. So why do we care what the world thinks? Why does it matter what the world thinks about the elders in your church? They don't have spiritual eyes. They don't have spiritual wisdom. Well, I think partly he says it because the world is pretty good at pointing out hypocrisy. And they do love to point it out in the church. I think he also says it because this is simply another arena in which to evaluate the qualifications of an elder. Is his testimony at home, like we've mentioned before? Is his testimony in the church? And then also, is his testimony in the world consistent? Right? Or is he different from one place to the other? If he's a gossip at work, if he's arrogant at the gym, or if he swears at the refs during his kids' basketball games, don't make him an elder. I gave a sermon at our youth camp this past summer, and it was on evangelism. And one of the questions I asked the kids was, would, you be, would somebody be shocked if you shared the gospel with them? You know, does your life so contradict the testimony of the Bible that if you said to somebody, hey, I want to tell you about my Savior, Jesus Christ, they would just be completely surprised 
wondering, who is this person talking to me about Jesus? Because they clearly don't love him. And that I think is essentially what is going on here. A similar idea in this qualification that Paul gives at the end. If, if Gary or Pat or Todd go up to somebody and say, I'm an elder at my church, that person, if they know them to some extent, should say, that makes sense. No surprise here. They are those weird Bible-thumping, Jesus-loving people, and it totally makes sense that he's an elder in that church. But the world should not be shocked. Because this is one of the ways that the devil attempts to destroy the church, right? Ensnaring the leaders in disgrace, getting them to fall into sin, bringing a, a bad reputation upon the church. Satan loves to do these things. The world is going to think poorly of Christians. It's going to think poorly of the church. But let them do it because our lives reflect Christ rather than because our sin deserves their derision. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. Or sorry, on the day of visitation. I don't think that means that they're going to be saved. I think that people will glorify God when they realize that God was glorified in these, these believers on earth. When they meet God on Judgment Day, they will realize God was true and these people represented Him well. And that's what the elders of the church, and therefore that's what the whole church should be. So we've worked our way through. But I want to go back and look at how we listened, hopefully how you listened to this sermon in the, in the four different ways that I said that you might be listening at the beginning of this. And we'll do this briefly, but first I said let's listen as disciples of Christ, understanding that once, when the Word of God is open, we are learning something about God. And we should learn this morning that God prioritizes holiness that flows out of a heart that loves Him. When you look at this list, when you look at what God requires for his leaders, you see that a godly elder needs to love the Lord completely and be giving his life to the Lord and not to the world. And so we have learned something that God calls all of us to. Not everyone in the church is going to be an elder, nor should they be. But everyone ought to understand that God calls us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to live our lives in a holy way. Second, listening as church members who will be required to evaluate, appoint, and submit to your elders. This is what you use. This is how you do it. And each man appointed must qualify according to this list. We are not running a popularity contest. We're not, clearly, we're not here to pick the best-looking men. No. No, okay. My wife told me, don't make that joke. It's not going to be funny. So. If you have biblical warrants, vote no next week. If you are on the pastoral search committee, ask about the candidate's home life. Ask about his drinking habits. Observe his behavior. See if he is argumentative. Ask about pornography. 
Ask about his relationship with the world. To the men in this church who may have a desire for eldership, prayerfully evaluate yourself according to the word of God given to us in 1 Timothy 3, 1-7. Ask others if they see these qualities in you. The church is given these instructions to observe and then appoint and then submit to elders. So it is the church that must see these qualities in a man. And if they don't, it doesn't matter how highly the man thinks of himself. You will not be perfect, but as an elder, you will be responsible to be an example and a faithful leader by the grace of God. So look at this and evaluate yourself. And then lastly, to the elders, as those who are accountable to God. Clearly, you need to do better. Amen. Amen. And I only say that because none of us are qualified to perfectly fulfill this role. We will all stumble in many ways, and there must be much grace and kindness in the church body, both from the elders to the body and then from the body to the elders. There will never be perfection, and there never should be, because our Savior is Jesus Christ, and He is the one who came in perfection to redeem sinners And he's the only one that we look to for our perfection. So amen. Elders, do better by the grace of God to his glory, humbly and faithfully. But as I was studying through this, as I was thinking through this, I was praising the Lord that I see many of these qualities in the men that lead this church. I was praising God that he is working through our elders for his glory. And ultimately, it's all God's work. It's all to God's glory. It's all because of what He does in us, right? The only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And so we don't bring an amazing skill set that is to our glory to this work, but rather we we bring an empty, broken vessel saying, Lord, fill me that I can be poured out for the good of this body. And so all praise and glory to Him. And we praise God for what He is doing in this church and what He will do. We thank Him this morning for this word. So pray for your elders. Encourage them. Maybe maybe challenge them or ask them a question if you see something in their life that is is failing in one of these areas. They need all these things. And then submit to them as those whom God has appointed for the good of the church. Let's, let's pray in closing. Lord, it's been good to be here simply because we have been sitting here with your word opened before us and we have been learning from it. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, this is, this is your church. Every, every church in this world that is faithful to you is your church. You are the one who has established each church if, if the churches fail, if the leaders fail, Father, you will remove lampstands and establish other churches for the glory of your name. And so, Father, we do acknowledge that this is all your work and it is all to your glory and it's all because of what Jesus Christ has done. So, Father, we humbly come before you and pray for your kindness to us to, to bless this specific local body.
that the people here might might see good examples in the elders of this church. And those, those elders might be used to guide and lead and teach the Word of God to these people, that there might be growth and sanctification and an increase in holiness that the world might look upon us and see a church that gives glory to your name. And even if they don't understand it, even if they oppose it, may they realize that those are God's people there at that church. So Father, lead us. You are the chief shepherd, our our Lord Jesus. You are the chief shepherd. So lead us and may we as a local body follow you closely and may our elders follow you more closely so that this church might be blessed, O Lord, and you might be glorified. God, thank you for your mercy and your grace. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.